Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Tess Vigland is a veteran journalist and a well-known voice to millions of American radio listeners. For 11 years, Tess was the host of Marketplace Money, a weekly personal finance program that looks at why we do what we do with our money. After climbing the tall ladder of success, Tess left her job at NPR and is finding her next act. We last spoke after her now-famous World Domination Summit talk, which led to a book deal. Today, Tess returns so we can discuss success, how she measured it before, and how she measures it now. Tess, hello and welcome back. Thank you so much, Corinne. It's great to be here. Well, I want to talk about measuring success and what, when, you know, when you were young and in college and you had this dream of being on radio, how did you measure success back then? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I grew up in a, I would say, upper middle class family. My father was a physician. My mom was a stay-at-home mom uh, after being an English teacher. So, you know, I, it was, I had parents who had a lot of expectations of me. Um, and you know, that was, that was from the start. Uh, I started playing piano when I was five and, you know, they basically pegged me at that point (laughs) to become a classical pianist and travel the world, which I didn't end up doing. Um, but you know, I was one of those, I was one of those overachievers. I always got good grades in school. Uh, in fact, I skipped a grade. I spent half a year in seventh grade, half a year in eighth grade, and then went to high school. Wow. And so, you know, when 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 that kind of uh, expectation is built into your DNA, um, it's just something that you kind of take for granted. I don't think that I ever really thought about the notion of success. It was just something that was going to happen. Um, I was going to go to a good school and probably a music school, (laughs) which again, I didn't end up doing. Um, And then I was going to get a good job after that and a better job after that. And my trajectory was going to be a linear one that always went up. Um, And I just never really questioned that. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't say that I didn't want that. I guess I kind of assumed that I wanted it because it's what I was surrounded by. Um, But I never really thought my future was going to be anything but bright. I was pretty sure I was going to, you know, wear shades. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which now will peg me as an 80s girl. Um, So, you know, the first little hiccup in that was when I actually ended up quitting piano my junior year, at the end of my junior year in high school, because I'd gotten on the school newspaper and fell in love with news. And so, you know, that that was the first time when eh, maybe my track's going to be a little different than what we thought it had been for 10 plus years. Um, and so I had to kind of think about 
what that meant for my success later on. But I just, you know, I just always, I just always assumed that I would be successful at anything I did. And I always assumed that I would be at the top of whatever career I chose. Um, and, you know, as someone who grew up in the seventies and eighties, I thank my parents for that because I'm a woman and, you know, it's, I, the path was paved for me by women who came before me, but I still grew up in an era where, you know, not everything was possible for mm -hmm. women. Um, when Geraldine Ferraro became a vice presidential candidate, I mean, I remember that vividly. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that my parents raised me to assume that I was going to be a successful career woman. Um, and that's pretty much how it went for the next 20 plus years until I quit my career. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you think that, um, your success was going to be tied with your own personal worthiness? Uh, boy, that's a really interesting question. I thought you were about to say personal worth. <laughs> Which is how so many of us tie it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of what we imagine success is is tied to what we are worth, like you know, our bank account mm -hmm. and what kind of house we have and what kind of car we drive and you know what kind of school our kids go to. Um, so when you ask about worthiness, yeah, but that was a complicated thing for me because I'm also extraordinarily insecure. I mean, beyond anything you'd imagine for someone who, you know, was a had a national radio show. Mm -hmm. um, and my sense of worthiness, I think, throughout my career was that, yes, I had worked hard for a lot of this. And yeah, I was pretty talented and deserved it, but I didn't understand how, why the world was recognizing that. And, you know, I think, I think part of that is, you know, not to blame everything on my womanhood, but I think that a lot of women do struggle with that. Um, but I think it's also just that insecurity keeps you from believing that you are worthy of the success that you're getting. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've asked myself, wow, was that just luck? It, 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 is somebody playing a prank on me and I'm, this really isn't my job? And either that or, well, I guess they couldn't get anybody better. <laughs> right? And it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is because I know, I know in my head that I'm smart and I'm capable and I'm really good at what I do. And that's why I kept getting hired, you know, for 20 plus years. It wasn't an accident, but my heart and my soul don't always follow along with that logic. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I, to this day, struggle with. Um, you know, I look back on the past year since I left my job and I've had extraordinary opportunities. Oh, you know, for God's sake, I've got a book deal. Mm-hmm. And I still look at that and think, uh-oh, somebody made a mistake. <laughs> They're going to realize pretty soon <laughs> that they made a wrong decision because I am not worthy. And so, you know, the question of whether my success, which has been significant, whether it's tied to my personal worthiness, 
there's a really different answer to that question from outside my body mm-hmm. and from inside my body. And it's something that I really have to reconcile at some point in my life, if not at age 44. Well, and did you think that once you achieve these successes, that then maybe that would calm that inner critic that you have? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because none of my success was ever enough Mm -hmm. for me. Um, You know, a lot of people look at my career and it is an enviable one. I mean, I had my own national radio show in public radio, which, you know, has the love and devotion of millions of people around the nation, if not the world. Um, I was, I mean, I was at the top of my profession, but it still wasn't enough for me. You know, I, I, I hosted a weekly show when I really wanted a daily show. Um, I coveted several jobs within my own industry that I you know, figured I wasn't good enough for, otherwise I would have them. And it's absurd because I had a really, really great job and I had great jobs all the way along in my career um, where, you know, I, I made decent money, not huge money, but decent money. And I had all the trappings of success. Um, and I've gotten off. What, what was your question again? <laughs> the, the, well, the question was, was the idea, like when you go back to that younger self, right? Who's in college, once right. I accomplish this, once I get, you know, to work in radio, yeah. once I get to yeah. host a show, once yeah. I get into my dream job, which you did, yep. right? Yep. Then I will be worthy. Yes. Yes. And I kept telling myself that with each successive promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it was I always, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but, you know, from, from the time I was a teenager, I always wanted to be famous. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about how much money I had. I always wanted to be famous. And so with each successive job, I had a higher level of that within, you know, the small world of public radio. But, you know, it was more than most of my friends had in mm-hmm. terms of vis- visibility. Um, but even as I, you know, went from one job to a better job to an even better job and a more high profile job, it still was never enough for me. I still wanted to, you know, I wanted to be Peter Jennings. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be Diane Sawyer. And so, yes, with each job I had, I kept thinking that it wasn't enough and that I wasn't enough, that I had not proved myself enough to reach the absolute apex of my industry. And again, if you look at that from the outside, it seems absurd um, because I, I did reach a level that most people don't. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people, even journalists, don't reach the level that I got to. But it was still not enough for me. And I, I need to put myself on the couch for that because I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, I mean, you know, my father is a top surgeon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, is he world famous? No. My mother was the best mom you could ever have. Uh, and she was an English teacher before she had me. Was she the best? Uh, well, she was certainly the best mother, bar none. Um, but, you know, w- when you look at that factor, uh, you know, I, d- I don't know where my own internal pressure has come from to be at the very top. Mm-hmm. 
because it's a very unrealistic expectation. I'm glad that I'm a go-getter, but I don't know that it's strictly ambition. I think it's that I'm constantly looking for that validation that I am worthy. And unless I reach the absolute top, um, I am not worthy. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, it's the stuff that Brene Brown talks about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have, you know, I, I don't know. I think that was some self-shaming on my part. And so, I mean, think about what that meant for me when I decided to quit my job mm -hmm. without another one lined up and without, you know, knowing that an even bigger and better one was going to come. Um, that has made the last year really, really tough. And it was even tougher because I almost did make it to a pinnacle. You know, I was runner up for what would have been one of the biggest jobs uh, in public radio. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get it. Um, so this past year has really been an exercise in figuring out why I am worthy and that it really has nothing to do <laughs> with my job. Um, and that's something that I've really had to struggle with and figure out. And I still haven't figured it out yet. I still have those pangs of, I mean, every time something good happens to me, I'm like, oh, this is an accident. They, they, <laughs> somebody made a mistake. <laughs> and you would think in, as a woman in her mid forties, successful career woman, I would have gotten over that, but I haven't. So I'm still learning. Um, Bern and I can't believe I'm saying this publicly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens on this show. <laughs> I know. What are you doing to me? That's what happens. Uh, well, Brene's been a, a frequent guest, and she's much beloved by my listeners on my show. And um, and I really try to practice her work because, yeah. you know, I had that prerequisite list, right? And I, I call myself a recovering approval whore. And... Um, <laughs> So I'm stealing that. <laughs> it's you know, and and it's a recovering approval horror because I, sometimes I I was recently on the strategic task force and I was watching myself going, what am I doing? Because I could see myself <laughs> hustling out there, yep. right? And um, but you know, it's it's like almost taking that pledge of I am imperfect and I am enough, yep. right? And reminding ourselves that every day because my question to you is is that every time you you reach that next step, that next pinnacle where you thought, okay. I got here and now I'm going to be worthy. That wasn't what happened, was it? No, 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 not even close. I was like, well, okay, I'm almost there, but I, you know, it's not enough and I'm not, I'm not famous enough and I'm not making enough money and, you know, I'm not getting enough of the most high profile guests on my show. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And it's, it's a ridiculous hamster wheel to be on. It really is. But when you're in it, it's really hard to see it. Mm -hmm. And I think it took up and leaving my career. I mean, just leaving <laughs> uh, for me to start to recognize that. Because I don't have that now. I don't have anything. I don't have anything that I can point to and say, aha, see? Well, except, I mean, I do have a book deal, mm -hmm. um, which is a big <laughs> deal. Right? See, I forgot about that, right? Um, <laughs> You know, and as soon as I got that, I was like, well, okay, so that'll be great for the next nine months, and then I'm going to be nobody again. Mm. Um, 
And it's, like I said, it's this absurd hamster wheel that that you get on and you have glimpses every once in a while of how absurd it is. And you can tell yourself that, but, you know, actually doing something about it and changing your own behavior is really, really difficult. Um, and I wish that I would do it faster <laughs> because again, when you reach my age, you realize how little time you have left. And you should not spend that time thinking that you are somehow not worthy enough or that you haven't done enough, no matter what you do. I mean, no matter what, it doesn't matter how, you know, how insignificant you think what you do is. It's not insignificant, but even more than that, it does not define you mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form. And you know, that is just something that I have to tell myself every single day. And sometimes I forget to. <laughs> I need like something to pop up on my phone that says, you are enough. You are fine. You are not, you know, you are not your work. Um, but you just need I a tattoo. I haven't it. put that on my phone yet. <laughs> you just need a tattoo on the palm of your hand. I'm enough. Right. Yes. That way you could look down at your hand when you have those moments. You don't have to worry about losing it, misplacing it. It's I there. I like that. Yeah, maybe on my knuckles. <laughs> you know, if people do those, the four letters on their knuckles, maybe I could do that. Mm -hmm. I am enough. <laughs> well, you know, and one of the things I want to say is that as you were talking about this, I think about when I was this young coach and, you know, and I was a, I was a swim coach at a college and, I, you know, I was a head coach at a really young age and I was on this tenure track and and I was also married to my husband, who's a coach, very established, right? And I wanted it all right now. Like I wanted to know that I was making yeah. a difference and an impact. Yeah. And one of the things that I've had to learn was that it really wasn't any of my business to know the impact because huh. I just needed to do the work because I would fret about, you know, am I making an impact and look at him over there and he's making such a difference and I'm not. And right. And I just constantly beat myself up. And then, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later, and even now that I'm gone, right, how many of those college athletes come over or drop me a message or something and they thank me? I mean, just recently that happened. I got this really yeah. long message from a former athlete about the impact that I made in her life, right? Who would have yeah. thought? I mean, and so I think when people are listening and we go, well, what, you know, and it doesn't, you don't have to be on, you know, public radio or do a show like mine or you, no, you could, you no. never know the impact and think about that. Like, I really want the listeners to like, think about people who've made an impact to you. You know, what right. may have been the words that they said to you or the actions that they did. And it could have even been in passing that created such significance in your own life. Yeah. And, you know, like you, I still hear from people who, you know, listened to my show and, you know, they say that I helped change their finances and helped to help them get more comfortable with money. And, you know, when I get those, it is a reminder that you don't, you don't always know, um, the impact that you're having. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's nice to get those reminders but it should be enough just to know it yourself, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think it's, it's this external validation that we're constantly seeking. Or I won't speak for the rest of the world, that I'm constantly seeking. 
Um, and I think that's a function of this rampant insecurity that I have that I think a lot of people have at least a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just a function of how, how we measure ourselves from the outside world anyway. I mean, you know, our lives, if you have a, you know, if you have a job, you are evaluated every year mm-hmm. by very subjective criteria. Um, for the people that you work with. It's not objective, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how many you know forms you might have to fill out. It's a subjective thing. And so, but but our families don't do that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they don't they don't make us do annual reviews of how we're doing within the family. Um, so the only real feedback that we have on who we are and what we do and what kind of impact we're having, is it work? I mean, hopefully, hopefully you have friends who will tell you every once in a while how awesome you are. I try to do that with my friends. I don't do it often enough, and I'm going to vow now to do it even more. But we just don't have either objective or subjective feedback on who we are and how we're doing outside of the workplace. So the only place we get that is at work is in a career. Mm-hmm. And so I think that makes it very hard for us to think beyond that career and how success is defined in what we do. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe somebody should design an annual review <laughs> for our lives <laughs> outside of work. <laughs> Send it out to all your friends and your family and say, hey, how am I doing this year? <laughs> Can we set goals for the next five years? <laughs> you know, um, when I was always out there, you know, hustling for approval, and it, I also noticed that as soon as I got their approval, I would, it would, I would just discount it, right? Because yeah. like my own in, in, internal voice was, Corinne, you're a loser. You're a loser from Loserville. Right. Yeah. So if they if they think you're great, then there must be something wrong with them. Like, and I didn't even take it that far. It was just but immediately I would kind of repel that. And so I, I think of like getting, you know, that's why I'm a recovering approval whore, because for me, I remind myself that my outside approval is like quicksand. It never filled up the holes inside of me. Ooh, wow. I like that image. Yeah. And I guess I mean, my experience was a little different in that. It, it actually did fill those holes for mm-hmm. me for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I, I loved the fact that I had fans. Mm-hmm. And I loved the fact that they would write to me. And when I went out in public at events, you know, they'd come up to me and want their picture taken with me. Um, those things actually did fill those holes, at least temporarily. Um, not for long, but temporarily enough that, you know, that's what I became addicted to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it doesn't happen often enough. So when you're addicted to it, you're not getting that, you know, if you're a junkie, you're mm-hmm. not getting that hit enough. Mm-hmm. And that's when all that self-doubt starts to creep in when you're not getting it. Um, and, you know, now that I have left that world for the most part, um, I don't have it at all. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that's when you start to look for other external validation, which is which can be social media. How many likes did I get on this post? <laughs> it can be Twitter. How many people are teed me? Um, you know, and, and again, it's so absurd. And I know in my head, logic test knows, logical test knows that that is ridiculous. But I think that we are so conditioned over the years to be obsessed with what other people think of us because that helps determine where we get in our careers, where we get in our lives, whether we get a promotion, whether we get a bonus, whether we get a raise, that's all determined by what everybody mm-hmm. else says and thinks about us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very hard to ignore that drumbeat and instead just be happy enough with yourself and who you are and where you are in life that, that you are enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a mantra that I think that I, you know, I need to pay attention to that everybody out there needs to pay attention to that. The fact that you're just around that you're here is enough. It's enough. You are enough. But it's a really, really hard lesson to absorb. Well, and don't you think, like, I don't think you need to go sit on a couch to figure out where it comes from because I think you just said it, right? Yeah. We, we have been conditioned in so many ways by our teachers and our workplaces of people evaluating us to determine yes. our worth, right? Yes. Are you worthy enough to get a promotion? Are you worthy enough to get a pay raise? Whatever it may be. Are you worthy enough to get this grade? So we, we have – we've that's been part of our society to do that. And, um, but don't you think in some ways though, that that has also helped you facilitate your own career success? Uh, what you mean the external validation, the external validation in that in which also, which fueled that inner (coughs) critic that you had that, okay, I need to, I need to go to this next step. I need, sure. Right. Sure. Yes, yes, it definitely fuels ambition. Mm-hmm. It absolutely fuels ambition. But that gets back to your question about, you know, well, in college you thought that, you know, if you just got to this point that, you know, that would that that would do it for you. And well, then you got to that point. Well, that's not quite enough. So now I need to go do this. And I think that there is, you have to strike a balance somewhere between ambition and just never being satisfied with where you are. Um, I think for a lot of people, there is a pressure to constantly be ambitious. I feel it. And I certainly have felt it over the past year. Well, this is how I have started describing it in the last few months is that I hate, I hate it when people say to me, I can't wait to see what you do Mm -hmm. next. I can't wait to see what you do next. The expectation implicit in that is terrifying Mm -hmm. because it means that whatever I do next is going to be even more awesome Mm -hmm. than what I've already done, which was pretty awesome, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was at the top of my career and now people are waiting for me to do the next big thing. Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) What if I don't? You know, what if, what if the next thing I do is completely anonymous 
or is, you know, I mean, what if I decide to go sell clothes, Mm -hmm. which is a perfectly fine and honorable and compensated career. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would be so worried that people would look at that and say, oh, what happened to her? So I think the function of ambition is to keep you moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. But we think of that movement as not just forward, but up in some objective way. And what I struggle with is how to keep moving forward, but maybe laterally, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm moving forward, but just off to the side a little bit. And I'm going to go do something completely different and I'm not going to host my own national radio show anymore. And it may not be as spectacular as that, but I'm still moving forward, but I'm not necessarily moving up in a trajectory that I had had for so long. Um, and coming to terms with that definition of ambition uh, is not easy. You know, that you know, makes sense? It makes total sense. But, you know, it's interesting because I'm more interested in you now because of your journey and your struggle this past year. You would, yeah. be, you would be less interesting to me if like, oh, okay, there she goes, right? She went oh, to I this. Know. In fact, people told me, you know, you referenced a speech that I gave mm-hmm. back in July. Um, where I talked about uh, not getting this big job at NPR. Um, People have told me since then that they were really glad I didn't get the job Mm -hmm. (laughs) because otherwise my story just wouldn't have been, you know, as compelling or as relatable Mm -hmm. because then it would, it it just would have been like, oh yeah, well, of course she got the job and, you know, I can't relate to that. But instead, no, <laughs> I didn't get the job. And it was a whole different story that I had to tell. Um, and it was it was easily the greatest disappointment of my life. Um, and so it was a whole new experience for me to be, well, it was, it was rejection on mm-hmm. a scale that I had never experienced before, ever. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into my first choice school for college. But I got into the second choice and it was pretty great. So that, you know, it was disappointing, but it wasn't. And I was also 17. So, you know, the, the disappointment was relative. But this for me this year, not getting this job was beyond anything that I had ever experienced. And so, <coughs> you know, it um, f- for me, it was a lesson in again, figuring out who you are outside of what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I, again, have gotten away from the question that you were asking me. And no, you were going just perfectly. This is all fine. Um, (laughs) No, I I think, uh, and I don't know if a phrase this is a question or a statement, but my hunch for you, Tess, is that this year that you're eating, as you're writing this book and you're going through this and, you know, you've been, well, it's more than, it will be about a year now, right? Since you left. Yeah. And, yep. but this time, I mean, I, I know from my own life and I had to go through some tremendous struggles because I too had that kind of straight line, right? Tenured at 29. It's like, how fast can I climb? Yeah. And, um, but I know when I would make, when I made transitions and I had to go through that struggle and I hated every moment because it didn't fit my timetable and I measure success based on productivity, right? Like mm. how, how, how much can I get done and how successful can I get up that ladder? Right. Right. But now looking back after I've been through my little hell and out of it, 
I realized <laughs> that I needed that to develop my own resilience and to develop my yes. own personal strength. Yeah. And and I wonder if this year is going to be more more self exploration than had you did get that Hollywood you know movie ending, and getting that job. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, I've even described it to people as I feel like a, I feel like I'm a different person than I was a year ago, mm -hmm. and I never would have expected that. Um, and it's in you know some ways tangible, some ways intangible. Um, I feel. And, you know, if anyone who's ever worked in a newsroom is going to understand this. If you haven't, you may not. But I feel like a softer person mm -hmm. now in a mm -hmm. good way. Um, I was so cynical and so wrapped up in, you know, the daily machinations of the news and politics and, you know, Wall Street. And, and when you're surrounded by that, and most news is not good news, mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're surrounded by that, you know, 24-7, if that's your career – um, it's really easy to get hard. It's really easy to just get like, you know, this, it's the classic hard bitten journalist. Now it's not that I wasn't a nice person, but it was just, you know, when you are surrounded by that constantly, um, it, it, it makes you a, just a, a little bit harder on the inside, I think. And, and being away, from, just being away from that on a daily basis has softened me. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm, I like that. <laughs> I don't miss that feeling of constant panic because the news is always bad. Um, but I also feel like, you know, I, I'm not a particularly spiritual person. I think we might've talked about this last time we chatted. Um, I'm not, I'm not religious in any shape or form. Mm -hmm. Um, but and, and I would have laughed at myself a year ago if I had said some of this stuff that I already said to you today because I was not, <laughs> I was not particularly introspective. I was, I didn't do a lot of self-reflection and I thought a lot of that was just BS. Um, I don't think that now <laughs> because I've had to go through this difficult year. And, you know, I have to acknowledge it is difficult by degrees. My life is not difficult by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, I have a roof over my head. I have paychecks coming in the door. You know, my dogs get fed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a wonderful husband. Um, but for me, it has been a huge change and a huge adjustment. And so going through what has been a difficult year for me, comparatively speaking, um, has made me rethink how the world operates, how I operate within it. And, you know, I still don't believe that the universe is paying attention to me. Mm -hmm. like the universe did not tell me to leave my job so that all this other great stuff could happen. I don't think the universe has time to pay attention to all 7 billion of us. But I do sense that there is, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, that there is, there is some function of, it's not fate. It's not God to me. An inner calling? It's something. Yeah. Yeah. And a, more of an inner reflection and peace with who I am and where I fit. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not 100% yet, and I still get panicked. 
<laughs> when I think about, you know, not being on that track that everybody expected me to be on, that I expected to be on. But there is this sense of life is bigger than what you do. Life mm -hmm. is bigger than your job. And I feel like there is something more that I'm going to do. I don't think this book is it. I think the book is merely an extension of journalism for me. It's just a different format of it. So I think more change is going to come for me when I finish it and I put it aside and I figure out really what is coming next. And I don't know what that is. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And the biggest change in me over the last year, because I did, I left in mid-November of 2012. So it's been almost exactly a year. But the biggest change is that I am more comfortable sitting in the uncertainty. <laughs> I, you know, I can sit there and realize that in eight, nine months, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm finally getting to the point where I'm okay with that. And that is huge for me because <laughs> I had my life planned out. Mm -hmm. I totally had it planned out. It is no longer planned out in any way, shape or form. It, I do not have a one-year plan, much less a five or 10-year plan. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of cool with that. And I'm actually kind of enjoying it. Wow. You know, uh, I used to be the queen of certainty and especially if you're going to something like to be a tenured college professor and a coach, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. I, I wanted, I thrived on certainty or so I thought and then to leave that. <coughs> but uh, it's so interesting because as you were talking, I wrote down, okay, how are you with uncertainty? And you just answered my question. <laughs> so whether, you know, but um, I, I think that's so important for people to hear that even through all of this, you're okay with uncertainty. And maybe that was a lesson in this, in part of this process that you've oh, come huge. to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I will say that um, I think part of the uncertainty that, that a lot of people have to deal with and what keeps them from doing what I did, which is jumping with a net is finance. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's financial. And, you know, one thing that I do need to point out uh, whenever I talk about this issue is that I'm I'm very lucky that my husband is paid well enough that he can pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our lifestyle has changed a lot because I was a primary breadwinner and I was making a lot of money and that money is now gone. Mm -hmm. It's just gone. And we weren't particularly great savers. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it has not affected us to the point where we have to sell our house or or car or, or whatever. Um, and I've had enough work, um, project work that it's made it possible for me and us not to panic financially. And that is a really, really, really big factor. And mm -hmm. I want to acknowledge that, that not everybody is lucky enough to be able to do what I did and feel the uncertainty and not worry about the finances so much. Um, that said, <laughs> um, it is, I think, the biggest mental hurdle to get over, to deal with when you have had, when you have done, you know, when you have been successful 
for a long time. And all of a sudden you don't have that anymore and you don't know how to define it anymore. And you don't know, <laughs> excuse me, I don't know where, where my next paycheck is coming from. You know, I can see a couple months down the road, but, um, you know, it's, and, and I don't know how people look at me anymore. And I, I don't, I don't know what my identity is anymore. Um, but I'm more, I'm getting more and more okay with that. And that to me is a personal change, a personal evolution that is pretty extraordinary and not something that I anticipated, not something that a year ago I would have wanted. I wouldn't have wanted this. Um, or at least I wouldn't have thought that I wanted it. Um, but it's one that I now welcome and that I see as a gift to myself. Mm -hmm. um, and something that I, again, this is, this is all about daily reminders, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe I need to write this on my hand too, you know, <laughs> that, that I am lucky to be getting comfortable with that uncertainty because that's life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what life is. And I just happen to have been really lucky for a really long time that I didn't have that. Although I, you know, <laughs> I'm far enough out from it that I now forget that I had cancer 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I had melanoma, which is one of the most deadly cancers you can have. Um, I was lucky that they found it at stage one. But for three weeks before my surgery, before they took lymph nodes and tested them, I thought I was going to die. I spent three weeks thinking that I was going to die. Because um, that's just, you know, your brain starts working overtime when you get a diagnosis like that. So I have, you know, lived with medical uncertainty, with life uncertainty for an extended period of time, because even once I, you know, found out that I was going to be okay and they got it all, you still for, for months, if not years are, you know, it sits in the back of your head and you're uncertain whether it's, when it's going to come back and what's going to happen and how long you're going to live. So I have been through that, but in a really different way and in a very unhealthy way mentally. So this is a this is a different kind of uncertainty and it has to do with I think it really has to do with identity more than anything else. Um <clears throat> not knowing not knowing your place in the world. Mm -hmm. And part of that is also because I'm not a mom. I do not have ch children. So, you know, I think as a mom, you can always see yourself as 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 that. And that's not who you are but it's certainly a part of your place in the world. Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't have that um, in my life either. So all the uncertainty has just made me sit and think about the fact that I'm really lucky to still be here. And I've had and will continue to have a great life and enjoy it. And that this moment just a moment even though so far it's a year mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a big moment but um that that i'm gonna be okay basically and i'm gonna be fine and i'm gonna figure it out i'm smart i'm with it i'm gonna figure it out and something's gonna happen 
and it may not be huge. It may not be, you know, this most incredible next step that I'm going to take, but I'm going to be okay with that. And I have to believe that if I'm okay with that, nobody else is going to give a, a crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, they love me for who I am. And that's, you know, that's something that, that I have had to absorb as well. Um, so I'm prattling on. No, I, <laughs> I have making sense. You're making total sense. I just have I have so much I want to say. So like I, I I think about you, Tess, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you absolutely have a place in the world because here you are, right? In our society where we taught, you know, everybody dreams of high levels of success, right? And we look yeah. at you and here, you know, you would climb this really tall ladder, yeah. right? And then you chose to leave. And you, now you're stumbling around, and then you come on my show and say, I've always been deeply insecure. And you know how many of my listeners are, are thinking, holy moly, her too? Then I'm not broken? There's not something wrong with me? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. when you have the dialogue like I have, right? I have this old friend in the back of my head that I don't really believe because it's not so true. But when it says I'm a loser, but then I, and I listen to your story up until you know, 2012, I listen to your story. I'm like, well, of course that happened. She has the golden, she's the golden child. She was, you know, with the golden wand. Why I have the show is because I want my listeners to understand what I've learned is that everybody goes through struggles life. Yes. Right. And it's not that you're the chosen one. You have been very fortunate to create the career that you had, because I do believe you created it. There may have been luck involved, but you created it. You worked really hard. Yes. But the, at the same time, you still had that voice. It was saying something different, right, yep. than mine. Yep. But we had similar voices. And so that's where I, I really invite the listeners to go, okay, see, we're all the same. We all have that. We all have that fear. We all have our own doubts. Yep. But don't let that hold you back in your life. Absolutely. And, you know, I will tell you that, um, you know, one of the things that has struck me since I gave this speech, mm-hmm. which was – absolutely a turning point in my life. I will never forget that it was, you know, it was a Sunday. It was July 7th, 2013. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I, it was such a turning point. It was, it was like, you know, where, where were you when that happened? And that, that's one of those days for me. Mm -hmm. And what it brought to me was this lesson that we are all in this boat together. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, when I, when I wrote that speech, which I, Basically, I think I told you this mm-hmm. last time. I, I I just puked it out over less than twenty four hours because I gave the speech a week after I I had I was rejected for this big job, and so I hadn't written the speech yet, even though I had six months to do so. And so it really was it was it was everything that was on the surface of how I was feeling, and I felt like I had nothing to lose at that point. So I just put it all out there, but I didn't think that anybody would care. I didn't think anybody was going to relate to it because it was just my story. Who gives a crap about my story? It has nothing to do with anybody else. So when I got the reaction that I did, not just there in the auditorium, mm-hmm. but... Which was a standing ovation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, from 3,000 strangers. <laughs> um but, you know, beyond that, it went viral online. And I heard from people all over the world who were like, oh, my God, you're telling my story. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But what it taught me was that 
we all do have this story and we all do have these questions and nagging doubts about who we are and our own abilities. And, you know, we all have this notion that maybe we're all just frauds and fakes mm -hmm. and whatever success we are getting is because we got lucky. Um, and I think we all want to believe that we are unique and that our experience on this earth is unique and that there's nobody else like us. But on the other hand, we also want to know that everybody else is going through the same mm -hmm. shit. If I can use that, that word, um, that we are not alone and that some of the really bad things that we feel and the things that we tell ourselves in our head that other people, most people probably mm -hmm. are thinking the same thing and they have all those same insecurities. Um, and it just, it's nice to know <laughs> that we are in good company. Um, I, in fact, I read a story in the New York times just this morning about, Oh, and I, I've already forgotten her name. She's a famous actress who's just written a play. And she, I mean, she's beautiful, beautiful, has been in some great movies and TV shows. I'm so, I'm so annoyed with myself that I can't come up with her name right now. Um, but, you know, she, she talks in this article about her own insecurities mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, that she was always comparing herself to the real movie stars and the real TV stars. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? Are you kidding? What, what's wrong with you? You have everything. You have everything anyone could ever want. And you should feel great about yourself. And you're hugely successful. Oh, Amanda Peet. Oh. Amanda Peet. Mm -hmm. And it was just fascinating to read. And of course, the whole time I'm reading this article going, oh, thank God she feels the same way. Mm-hmm. Thank God she feels the same way. And so, you know, I think that's I think that's how people responded to me. And I don't have her level of, of fame and fortune and success. Mm -hmm. But um, there there is there's just this tug of war inside of us where, you know, part of us wants to just be unique and nobody else is like us. And then the other part is like, oh, thank God that, that other person is going through the same thing. Um, I mean, you hear about this even with presidents, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you hear about the stories when they leave office, they don't know who they are anymore. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, talk about, talk about someone who doesn't, I mean, where do you go after your president of the United States? There's no up. There's no up. Although, of course, you could argue that, you know, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton and George Bush, I mean, they, they've all done really admirable, remarkable things since they left. Um, but, you know, that... The path is you, gone, though. That path? Yeah, the path is gone. Exactly. And, you know, anyone objectively looking at it would be like, well, you can't do anything else bigger than that, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And who cares anyway? Mm -hmm. Who cares? You know, if they, if, if the president just wants to go off and retire and, you know, not be heard from again, that's their choice. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're any lesser a, a person. So I don't know, I'm getting all philosophical and stuff now, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's just, it's a lesson that I think all of us come by in very different ways, but 
I would hope that anyone listening to my story, my little story, my humble little story, um, would take from it that um, it is a process. Absolutely. That, you know, and that it, it takes some, it takes a lot of time, a lot of time, because I'm still not, I don't know if I'll ever be super comfortable with myself, but, you know, I'm, I'm still dealing with, with who I am now. In fact, when people ask me what I do, at least now I can say, oh, I'm a book author mm-hmm. or I will be <laughs> I'm working on my first book. But then the second thing I tell them right off the bat is, and what I used to do, you know, it's still such a huge part of who I think I am, even though it's not really, but I still perceive it as that. So it's one of the first things that I, that I tell people about myself. You know, I wonder, Tess, if um, you, that part of it with being in the newsroom, right, in that kind of that armor of just becoming more cynical just to protect yourself. But I wonder yeah. if like, you know, removing the job and stepping away from kind of that title has taken away some of that armor. I mean, that's when you look at oh, WDS, yeah. like I was like, holy moly, she's not that news person up there. She's not that journalist. She showed up. She opened her heart and like shared what was going on in her inside. Yeah. And, and I wonder if that's, that softening, you know, is because now you don't have that title to kind of put in front of you to protect you. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I mean, first off, <coughs> I don't have to be worried about, you know, being an objective journalist, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what, you know, ties your hands in the first place. Um, yeah. Second, Second of all, I don't have to be that person. I mean, I'm I'm not that person anymore. I don't, I'm not that public radio personality. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do, you know, I do still go back to the radio every once in a while uh, just to keep my chops. But, you know, I don't, you're, you're absolutely right. I think had I, had I moved directly into another similar position, even if it had been something like, you know, a reporter or a news director or, you know, something in management um, or, you know, hosting or reporting outside of public radio. Had I gone into, you know, something else like that that would have kept me in a newsroom, that would have kept me in the career that I'd had for 20 plus years, um, I, I don't know that I would have been that open. Uh, like I said, when I gave that speech, I felt like I had nothing left to lose because I just lost the biggest opportunity that I thought I was going to have. And at that point, I thought that I was probably done with journalism and with public radio, which was, you know, just a little temper tantrum on my part because I didn't get the job that I wanted. (laughs) But it did allow me, I think, to just say, you know what? this is me and this is me kind of naked right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're getting naked emotion. I mean, I wrote parts of that speech in the middle of the night. I mm-hmm. woke up and I went to the computer and I wrote a big chunk of it. Um, yeah, but and you... I really, I, I didn't want to, there was this huge part of me that didn't want to put all that out there because I didn't, I didn't know what this event was. <laughs> the world domination summit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I basically gave the speech as a favor to a friend who was one of the organizers of this event. I didn't know anybody. I knew two people in that audience. And, you know, part of that 
part of it was that it was anonymous. So I didn't know how many people would even know who I was. Mm -hmm. Turned out a lot of people did. It was a lot of public radio listeners, but, um, you know, I, I think if, I think if my story had had this pretty bow on it, easily wrapped up with some new big job, um, it wouldn't have been emotional. Mm -mm. And, uh, I think the fact that I had been away from a newsroom and really struggling with all this for several months, I just felt like, like I, like I keep saying, I felt like I had nothing to lose. And it turns out I didn't because it was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life and it changed my life. And, you know, I, I have, I, it is, it has only been since then that I even found out about who Brene Brown was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I was, uh, on vacation, uh, I read her book and I read Daring Greatly. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh my God, this is me. Oh my God, this is me. Oh my God, this is me. <laughs> and that helped me understand why, why it got the reaction it did, because I guess most of us don't show that part of ourselves because we're too afraid to. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know what it was, except this notion that I had nothing to lose that, that made me say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to puke it out and here you go. And I don't care what you think. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know what it was about that moment that allowed me to do that, but taught me a lesson that people, people want to hear that honesty. They want to hear that, um, that it's not easy, that none of this is easy. None of what we go through is easy. Even if you have the trappings of easy mm -hmm. inside, it's really, really, really hard. And it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. but it's worth it. We're going to use that as a takeaway, but Tess, I really hope you can receive what I'm about to say, because I do think that WGS was really powerful evidence for you, right? That yeah. when you open up and you share and the connection that people made with you, right? And how they cared about your story and also how you help people go, I'm okay. Or there's a part of me that I see in myself, yeah. right? And, and earlier in this interview, you had said, well, you know, maybe, <coughs> maybe something will happen. And, and I'm like, something already has happened. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, you know, I kind of feel there's like. me not being enough. <laughs> right? I do. Yeah, I feel like you took that armor off and you showed up. And it doesn't have to be this next big, this next big career step. Right. Yeah. You've made your impact and, and thank goodness because of the Internet and stuff, it's become something that's viral. But you've made a difference in so many lives. And now you're writing a book and that's the ne next thing. And I know from my own personal experience, everything that nothing is ever wasted. It all yeah. kind of comes back. Right. And, yeah, it, but absolutely. It, it doesn't make sense as you're going through it. But, yeah, I totally think something has already happened and you're just on this journey. I think you're right. And, and, you know, and I remind myself of that all the time when I start to feel like, oh my God, you know, it's been two weeks and I haven't had anyone talk about my speech. I mean, what is that? That's so dumb. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, I just have to believe that what I'm doing is going to make a difference and it has, and that it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Um, 
but that again, it's it's this whole notion of of being enough and recognizing over and over that the way you see yourself is not how other people see you. Mm. And for the most part, I think when we look at other people, we see way more of the good in them than we do with ourselves. And that's wrong. I think maybe that's human nature. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a sociologist. But we should see in ourselves as much of the good and the awesome and the success and the impact that we see in other people, even in just little small things, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, if, if you see that in other people, you have to believe that they're seeing it in you. Well, absolutely. And isn't it so much more pleasant way to live life? Then oh, yeah. you know, walking around, it's, it's not fun for me to hang out with my loser friends. I'm, now, I, nowadays, I go, <laughs> I'm not letting you in the house. <laughs> I can't come I in. I like that. Yeah, get new locks. Change yes. locks. I, I don't like want to play. Locks. Thank you, but yeah. goodbye. Right? Exactly. It's like a solicitor. Okay. So, so I'm gonna change my locks, and I'm gonna get a tattoo on my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna set up a daily reminder on my phone. Now I have a big to do list. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Tess, thank you for being a guest today. And, and this was just awesome. And, um, and share, you know, really sharing your own personal journey, because I, I know that this will help so many people. So thank you. Well, I hope so. And it's been a pleasure. And um, thank you for letting me open up. And um, it's just, it's, I don't know, I, I kind of started to like talking about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep on talking. It's a good thing. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you, so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been.